Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. The British people have voted to leave the European Union, and their will must be respected. One of the things people love about you is you speak your mind, and you don't use a politician's filter. However, that is not without its downsides. What Boehner is angry with is the American people holding him accountable. If I become president, oh, do they have problems. They're going to have such problems. Well, I don't know why that's funny. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long and Peter Robinson. I'm James Lalix. Today we will discuss morals and comedy with director Whit Stillman and Brexit with Charles C.W. Cook. Let's have ourselves a podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this, the Ricochet Podcast number 310. I'm James Lilings, and we are brought to you by SaneBox. Hey, is your email box a raging conflagration of your inanities and irrelevancies? Of course it is, because it's an email box. Extinguish that fire. Get it back in control with SaneBox. And we're brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. To start your free trial today, you can sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash ricochet. Why? Well, we'll tell you later. And also brought to you by Casper Mattress. Premium mattresses for a fraction of the price delivered right to your door. It's not impossible. It's Casper. They're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to you. And we're brought to you by Harry's Shave. For a great shave at an even greater price, you can go to harrys.com and enter the coupon code RICOCHET. And as if that wasn't enough, we're brought to you, well, you know who, but I want to say uh, who and why and where. Rob Long is doing his annual travels with Charlie Bit as he goes across America. <laughs> and I assume, of course, you're taking the, the back roads, you're investing no. in the Hamlets, or you're just blasting through on the freeway. I'm just blasting through the freeway, unfortunately, James, this time. I mean, I, I do enjoy doing that, but I've got to get back to L.A., I've got to get to work, i get, uh, get some stuff I've got to get going. But, Rob, um, that, 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 that's like going to a, a website that has news stories on it and just reading the headlines. You have to go behind it. I've got to click. To the I, story was, and click, and, and you, have to, you have to delve into the comments, so to speak, in the small yeah. towns and hamlets that dot the oh. capillary roads of America. If only there was a website analog to an experience like that. To, to, an, to, to a civil experience like that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, James, because because there is. It's called Ricochet.com. We are the producers of the Ricochet family of podcasts, which, by the way, are getting larger and getting more exposure. We're very excited about the things that are about to happen. But let, let me uh, – I, I need to say something about our uh, members and about why we need you to sign up and to become a member. Uh, we have some great advertisers, and they've been very loyal, and they're excellent. 
there is a finite pool of advertisers for this kind of conversation. We are civil center-right conversation. You're listening to this podcast. No, this is nothing. Uh, uh, this is nothing radical or crazy. We know it's something radical and crazy, but a lot of advertisers feel like, oh well, you know, I don't know. We're a little worried about the content, meaning they're a little worried about uh, uh, the, uh, the the conservative nature of it. So we have a finite set of advertisers. The advertisers we do have are fantastic and loyal, and you should. I hope you uh, give them your fine custom. We also need your help. We need you to become a member of ricochet.com. We need you to go to ricochet.com. It's one month free. Uh, really, no, there's no risk to you. You can uh, browse around, sign up for the Daily Shot, which is our daily email news blast that appears in your uh, inbox every morning uh, and is filled with funny stuff and tips and uh, interesting factoids for you to win any argument you get in with the leftist in your life. Uh, but we need you to join because look, there's a ceiling for us. Uh, the, the left does not have this problem. That is not fair. That is not the way the world works. But it is, in fact, the way the world is. And um, we got to work within that constraint, and we got to ask you for your help. So please do. Exactly. It's not like we have people coming and saying, well, we'll sponsor you, but we only want you people to use the product on the left side of their body. Uh, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right. right. Ah, uh, that happy little throaty civil chuckle there indicates that Peter Robinson is with us, joining us. Peter, hello. Uh, well, hello. What was it? A happy throaty little chuckle? Yes, <laughs> it was. All right. That's hello, how we boys. Describe it. So I, I, I confess I missed just one bit. Where is Rob right now? About to leave or halfway across the country? I'm, ha- I'm dead center. I'm halfway across the country. I'm in Oklahoma City. Ah, wonderful. Okay, good. Yes. Yes, take notes, Rob. That is the real America. It is the real America. Well, it's all the real America. Let's not say one part's more real. It's all real. Oh, but, I, don't, uh, this I don't. This is you, America, you yes. bounce back and forth between Los Angeles and New York. Let's put it this way. You're getting a particular and limited view of America in those two cities. That's very true. However, yeah. as we now know, um, the cities are <laughs> – are, well, I, I'm just going to reiterate your point. The cities are uh, remarkably – uh, asynchronous with the interior lands if the uh, recent vote in the UK is to be believed. Well, this is what we're told. What we're t- now the backlash begins. There was a piece in the Financial Times yesterday which says it is time for the elites to stop apologizing for being elites and to do the right thing on behalf of the boorish masses who can't be trusted to believers <laughs> of power. Unbelievable! Right. The Financial Times was campaigning against Brexit from the very get-go, and I mean, I, to the extent that I'm sorry to say, I think a little less of that great newspaper because it infected the way they wrote their news stories, in my yeah, humble opinion. And now they have a result. The prime minister himself, whose career has ended because of this result, has honorably announced his resignation, and the FT won't take it. No, 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 no. When they get the vote wrong, it doesn't count. Unbelievable. Well, the the idea that somehow that the elites them first of all, the elites who are they precisely? Are they the the well, maidens of government, or are they their chattering handmaidens in the press? Uh, one out of they? the three people on this podcast right now. Don't you think we can agree on that, James? Would be an, <laughs> would be an elite. <laughs> yeah, the one in Oklahoma City or the one in Silicon <laughs> Valley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. I or the one who writes a column for a newspaper with a half million circulation on Sundays. I mean, I can easily say that I'm part of the problem as well because I write for a newspaper. Yeah. Uh, what they, what they mean, I think, what, different terms. The elites themselves think the term means 
us smart people who are cultured and really know what's best for everybody else, and in some instances they do. Uh, the people who are using the term der- in a derogative sense are talking about people who look down on them because they are they have they commit the sin of being slightly provincial, which is the one thing that the elites can't bear. We have to have a wonderful global transnational identity. Somebody put it in other terms, though, in a piece I read in Medium that I liked, and it, it was simply between the progressives. And the culturalists, and the culturalists are those people who believe that actually the, the folkways, um, the, the traditions from which we come, are an important and crucial means of identifying oneself in one community. Um, so I, I like that. That's good. Yeah, it it, 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 it is. It feels true, right? Yeah. It does. Rob, uh, you are, would you say that you have an affinity for the culturalists, even though we may not share the entirety of their values? It's, it's at least recognizing the importance of them and what they provide for social cohesion. Yeah, I do. I think that's probably right. Um, I, 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 the, the, I, I always feel it's, it's very strange to, um, to sort of make our way through this sort of Brexit event. From the you know, it's really very fresh. I mean, I was driving uh, into Nashville when I was listening to BBC World Service, and um, and I was listening to it all unfold. And you could hear in their voices this sort of shock, this un, this this sort of <laughs> disbelief um, that they gotten it so horribly wrong, and that their predictions had been so horribly wrong, and the people had been so um, un manageable really that, that's kind of the, the way it felt like they, the, the, you people are being unreasonable you're refusing to behave so there is sort of that on the other side of it from the culturalist is the other side of it i, I, I suspect that this me I, I mean I, I may be an outlier here i, I think it's going to mean a lot less than people think and i the the, the the reaction from places like the economist and um and financial times are sort of understandable from their perspective because Nobody in the financial business uh, or the financial world wants one more variable, right? Mm, they have yes, enough yes, variables. Yes, right. Adding X and Z and Y and now K and Q is like, that's too much for me to think about. And you add one more in and everything goes haywire and no one likes stability. And you can kind of see it in their, in their temper tantrums they're having, you know, or at least they were having on Friday and then on Monday. This kind of anger that there's volatility in the marketplace, as if volatility produced by – uh, uh, millionaire and billionaire. I mean, I hate nice using sound. <laughs> I'm, I'm consciously using Bernie Sanders terms, but millionaire and billionaire uh, speculators and program traders and large financial institutions. That volatility is okay, but volatility produced by ordinary people exercising their democratic right to vote. That volatility is absolutely unacceptable. It's like well, the American people, like the British people, stepped into their sandbox and said, "Oh no, no, we get to play too," and and now they're furious. Well, well, we've got Charles C.W. Cook, and the C.W., of course, stands for conventional wisdom. Uh, we'll have him coming up a little later to talk about Brexit. But to find an American spin on this, Peter, would you say that, as many are, is that this, is, this presages the, the worldwide uprising against the elite, the technocrats, and that's why Donald Trump is going to ride that wave? Do you see him? Uh, do you see the same thing working here? And do you see Trump uh, capital? I mean, he just gave a speech, essentially. Uh, which said, uh, down with globalism, hoorah for tariffs, uh, thinking that perhaps the Hoover administration is what we want to replay for the next couple of years. Right, right, um, right. So do you think there's an, an American analog to the Brexit? Yes and no. Just the obvious answer, yes and no. Listen, here's a quotation that's been making the rounds the other uh, on the Internet for a couple of days now. And in my judgment, this is the perfect summary 
of what people in Britain and this country, ordinary people in Britain and this country, have had enough of. This comes from an article written in 2004, so this has been going on a long time, by Samuel P. Huntington, Harvard political scientist, the late Harvard political scientist, and he wrote about Davos Man. Let me yes. just, do you remember this? So Davos, Davos Man, they are people, quote, who have little need for national loyalty, view national boundaries as right. obstacles that thankfully are vanishing, and see national governments as residues from the past whose only useful function is to fil- facilitate the elite's global operations, close quote. People have, people sense that that's, a, that's who's in charge, and for sure, if you walk around, you can't throw a, you can't splash a beer in Washington without hitting somebody in the Obama administration who's a Davos man or woman. Likewise, the people who run the Financial Times, who run the Economist, it's that much for sure, I believe, is common between what's taking place in Britain or took place in Britain and what's taking place here. The differences, of course, are also very, very important. The British people were voting for a straightforward reassertion of national sovereignty. They had lost, European Union started out as a common market. That's what they voted to enter back in 1975. Then with the introduction of the euro, with the various crises since, in the last decade it's become a political project. There is The European court can overrule British courts. They, they're forced to take regulations from Brussels. They were losing their sovereignty and they saw it. That's different from what Donald Trump is attempting to assert, in my opinion. He thinks he's asserting something of the same thing, but the speech yesterday, which I thought was just terrible. Anyway, I'm going, I don't need to give a speech when we've got experts coming on, but yes, they're the same. People are fed up with being, having their countries run by people who don't love their countries in the same way. And mm-hmm. who aren't accountable to them in any And who are not I mean, accountable to them. That, that, that seemed to be to be the, the underlying issue in, in, in Britain, uh, if, you, if you believe any of these sort of exit surveys. I mean, in, in addition to concern about immigration, which is sort of inchoate, and more about cons- – I mean, the, the British have been uh, extremely generous and open with their immigration policies for years. But, yes. but the difference is that they, they, uh, they are their immigration policies. Yes, they are they theirs to, to set and to, and, to, and to adjust if they wish. The EU immigration policies tended to squeeze out immigrants from the former British Empire, with right. whom they had normal historical ties, felt more comfortable to be – so fewer Indians, fewer Pakistanis, more Syrians, right. that sort of thing. It actually did shift the composition of immigrants into – Well, like, like Rob, I too was listening to the BBC World Service, and, and on World Have Your Say, they went to a pub or a fish and chip shop or whatever and uh, talked to seven Britons, and they had on the line somebody from Poland who was, who was – giving his opinion on Brexit, to which you want to say, well, gives a toss what he thinks about it. He's in Poland. <laughs> of course, the polls have been coming over in large measure. At the end of it, the, uh, the interviewer asked everybody uh, how they'd voted on it, and she was stunned to find that of this young group that it was five to two for leave. And she was, yes. it, it was a fascinating conversation because she was not getting the answers that she expected, and she listened to them. But then, of course, they go to another <laughs> – I swear the reporter is just hectoring somebody who had a contrary opinion on Brexit, did not regard it as the apocalyptic scenario, and she was just, I mean, this impatient, furious need to jump in and correct him where he was wrong. Horrible conversationalist. Obviously, this isn't somebody who went to the great courses plus.com. Oh, wow. I knew that was coming. Well, no, you did, of course. I I didn't know where, though. I didn't know how you were going to do it. 
Now I know. It's about time. Anyway, but um, one of the I vote remain. I'm going to vote remain <laughs> in lilac segways. I never want to segwex it. Yeah, well, lilacs. No, no lilacs for me. Once upon a time, I was doing. Remember how Rob was telling you about how. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I value those employer, those, those advertisers so much. Well, I'd like to get to one of them. <laughs> this is what it's all about. Uh, the internet is all about many things, but uh, learning is is an important aspect of it. And of course, if you like to learn, that's why you're here. And the Great Courses Plus would like to extend to you an invitation to drop by and try the great video learning services. Seven thousand fascinating video lectures taught by award winning professors, uh, elites, all of them. Now, if you haven't signed up for the Great Courses Plus yet, it's the perfect time because we've got a great offer for you. Uh, but first, what do you want to do? Anything you would like to learn about from history to business, how to cook, how to play chess, how to speak Spanish, you can get these anytime, anywhere using your TV, your laptop, your table, your, your tablet, your smartphone. Well, one of the courses that we've been recommending, of course, is How Conversation Works. And it tells you how to be a stronger, active listener. That's right. How to get the tools to navigate through uncomfortable situations, you know, Thanksgiving at home, the, the uncle who believes in Bernie Sanders, tips for choosing your words wisely, just be, be a better talker because of it. Now, because we know you're going to love The Great Courses Plus, if you sign up today as one of our podcast listeners, you will immediately get one month free to start watching as many lectures as you like. So be sure to check out How Conversation Works or the other ones on any subject you like. To start your free trial today, sign up now at The Great Courses Plus dot com slash ricochet that's the great courses plus dot com slash ricochet sorry for the squeaking chair there should get some 401 oil can we get them for a sponsor as well <laughs> yeah a little spray everyone, oil. Needs, everyone needs 401 oil well, one of the great things of course that oils human uh, society is uh, our, our, our manners and codes of behavior and the way people interact and how different tribes interact with different tribes and so forth which has been one of the themes you can find in the work Waducer, director of Metropolitan, Barcelona, The Last Days of Disco, and Damsels in Distress. He's also the creator of the TV show The Cosmopolitans on Amazon Prime. A good reason to sign up for that to stream. And his new movie, Love and Friendship, is in theaters now. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Hey, Wit, it's Rob Long. Thank you for joining us. Now, you, know, Whit, you and I have known each other a bunch of years, and we have sat and talked 
for a long time about uh, what's in the movie theaters and what's on TV. Your movies are uh, dialogue heavy, filled with sort of articulate characters who have long conversations. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> the dialogue's really tight in this one. <laughs> okay, but I like. Scenes. Okay, so here's my question: uh, uh, your, your your past pictures have all been kind of uh, urban and contemporary, filled with very contemporary, smart urban people. This one's different. Um, why'd you go in this different direction? Well, um, I ran out of material of my own that, that, that might have been interesting. So um, <laughs> I started looking at adaptations of stealing other people's work and of frank plagiarism. And I finally found someone good to plagiarize who is Jane Austen. And she wrote this um, novella that no one had touched uh, called Lady Susan. It was called that by her nephew because it was published 50 years after she died. And um, we retitled it Love and Friendship, which is a, a real Jane Austen title. And um, it's really funny. Uh, she was writing very funny material um, before she got into her more serious novels, which are also comic, but they're not entirely comic. They're not mostly comic. Uh, so um – you now, I guess the one thing that this has in common with with your other work is that it's a comedy. Would you say comedy of manners? Is that what you're calling it? Well, I don't call it that. Other people do. It bothers right. me the manners thing because it sounds like folding napkins or using finger bowls. Um, <laughs> What's uh, wrong with that? Have, we did have uh, Stephen Fry in the film, and he was really eloquent about Jane Austen and comedies of morals. And he says it comes from the Latin mores. And I'm not up in Latin. I mean, I guess I took two years, so I'm not going to uh, debate that. But um, but he said that um, that's where the origin is. So it's not really manners. It's comedies of morals. And I think that, that would fit. Well, so um, do you see any analog today? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like we have that same kind of social fabric. I mean, if you were – put it this way. Your, 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 the fir- your first big picture that, that sort of burst you uh, on the scene was Metropolitan. It was about um, young, urban, just out of college, set in a kind of a – uh, an indeterminate time. I was talking to Terry Teachout about it once, and I said it's not really a time. It wasn't really set in a time uh, or an era. It was set in a time of life, which everyone's experienced, no matter you know how big the cars are, or how tiny the phones are. Um, this kind of out of college, just trying to find yourself and hanging out with a lot of friends. Um, w- w- could you do that now? Is that does that exist now? Yeah, I mean, all, all that I think still exists. Everything still exists. And I mean, I think before we were kind of criticized for having our films always seeming out of time with anachronistic characters. There's sort of a myth that everyone at every one moment has the same ideas and the same way of behaving and the same late model uh, self, cell phone. Um, my friends would like not have the late model cell phone if they had one. And, and so I think we were accused in all the other films of sort of being out of date and anachronistic and they weren't that way. For relief, because going back to the 1790s, there's actually no one around who can say, oh, I remember the 1790s and it wasn't that way. <laughs> yeah, and, but we had more and, fun back then, yeah. And, you know, I had these journalists coming in and in the film you mentioned last day's disco and saying, well, I was in publishing and I went to discos and neither was like that. But, you know, each person has their own experience. So I had my publishing experience and in last day's disco, it was exactly my publishing experience. Maybe it wasn't this uh, other lady's publishing experience. So um, I tried to be really authentic with expert in, in period and to bring a lot of um, knowledge to it. Well, in the case of doing either Metropolitan about Deb season in New York um, in the past or 
uh, the last days of disco, sort of Harvard preppies in discos, I sort of had to say, well, actually, they wouldn't dress that way. They dress this way. And it was all kind of tiresome for the crew. This is a much more fun experience because everyone was bringing some ex- expertise to it. Uh, I, got, oh. I know Peter wants to jump in because he, uh, he, mm-hmm. he wants to talk about it. But I have one more about this. Which is, um, w- w- when you make a – I mean – how's the workflow go? I mean, the first Not well. couple, the, you have to say, the first couple of <laughs> movies are, are, they seem so personal. Yeah. And I mean, is there a period where you're just kind of walking, I mean, walking around and you got nothing and you're like, I don't, I don't, I got nothing. I got to make a movie. I have nothing to make a movie about. Or do you have like 20 things that you just, you feel like you're going to, you're going to die and have 20 un, un, ungotten two projects. Where are you right now in that process? Well, I mean, I think I've learned is never to sort of poo-poo other people's um, comments and advice. So I remember reading Fitzgerald and he'd worry about burning up all his material. And when I was young, I was thinking, oh, what nonsense. You can just kind of keep on going. And this whole idea of burning material that you couldn't use. He was worried about and his commercial short stories using the material he could use for sort of serious good novels. And I think it's really true. You do burn your material. Um, so I had three stories I could tell the, 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 this sort of two-week period of the debutante parties um, because I was – it was important for me because I was incredibly depressed and sort of very sort of Bolshevik uh, Cambridge of that period and had this two-week respite from all the politics of then. And then um, – Barcelona, but Americans abroad during the debates over NATO, and then um, this sort of incredible moment of nightlife in New York with the discos, and that was like an it. And so after that, I was thinking wrong for other other things to do and other books and all that. But you get inv- you get involved in the film industry with these other you know you know about it on the TV side these other producers and studio people and they all have their own version of how they want the book, and it's not your story; it's everyone's story, and they don't like your version. You like like one part of the book and they like the other part of the book. And so you get all bogged down in all these people giving you advice and notes. And this was taking some unlikely material and um, just working on it myself and, and just coming to the, the market with it um, and putting it together ourselves and, and doing it. And for, you know, it's been really fortunate. It premiered at Sundance in, in January and it's been kind of a dream. It's a Cinderella yeah, story, except I'm not Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> but it's i gotta say it's a huge hit i mean it's, it's a really it's a big hit it's a yeah, wonderful I mean, it's, i'm sorry this, uh, peter, peter robinson here i just wanted to get if i may i'm I, I was fascinated through the whole film i kept i'm one of those people who's seen the movie but not read the book uh good what Better. what what proportion if you can say this if it makes sense if i'm even asking a coherent question what proportion of the dialogue was very tightly lifted from lady Susan, it all seems so seamless, and yet, of course, you have to, at a minimum, you have to have transitions from one scene to another that she didn't have. How, how much of it was lifted or a close paraphrase? 10%, 80%? I'm just fascinated to hear that. It's um, two-thirds Jane Austen and one-third us adding to it. And I think one thing that makes it sort of the Jane Austen film more appealing to guys is there's a lot of sketch comedy in it. Yes. So, um, we were adapting an epistolary um, novel, a novel in the form of letters, and that means that if characters don't write letters, um, they don't fully exist. And some of these guys uh, in the story are sort of too stupid to write letters, you'd think. And so yes. we had to sort of invent what they would say. They were described as being very silly and, and foolish, but we had to do that silliness and foolishness. And fortunately, there's sort of a new school of not mighty Python-esque 
but um, Chris Guest-esque uh, British um, comedians or comic actors. And this whole group of them came into the film. One named Tom Bennett, who we'll be seeing a lot of, plays the role of Sir James Martin. And he's really funny. And he's supported by a guy who's in a British um, political satire called The Thick of It, um, Justin Edwards. He's good. And uh, Stephen Fry plays into that. And there's a whole group of these comic actors that give it sort of something else beyond the Austin dialogue. So, but so I was totally immersed in the Austin for 12 years, so I could wow. sort of go into you know how it would be a little bit. But it's a slightly different tone when the comic guys get operating. Right, different tone. But I didn't, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear any slips. I didn't think, oh, that was anachronistic. That didn't fit the rest of the. Di-. I thought it was just a brilliant. So the the famous scene, uh, Martin, if I recall, the, the dinner, t- the, the the dining room scene in which he looks at peas and says, ah, oh, what a jolly idea, little ground, little green round balls. That's you. Yes, that. Uh. So this really funny actor came in, and um, I started writing these scenes. I mean, it's one thing I learned from working a tiny bit in TV with um, Rob's friends at Amazon Studios. I just did this one pilot, but I, I, I learned that actually you can write stuff while you're shooting. They wanted a scene with uh. Chloe Sevigny, and so we whipped up a scene. You know, 4 a.m. You get up and you write. You've got some idea for material, and you write it, and you shoot it that day. And it's actually the best scene in, the, in that pilot. So I realized that I could be getting up at 4 a.m. and writing new stuff for this guy and uh he was in shock he said he bribed the hair and makeup people to keep him in the chair longer so he could learn these four-page scenes i was getting <laughs> in the morning but he was just so good i had to get as much as possible and if i'm i know james lilacs also wants to come in and ask we all want to ask questions but one more if i may indulge myself I, and again i'm not even sure this is a coherent question but i thought to myself as i was watching the movie this goes back to the point that rob made earlier all the movies these days are effectively amusement park rides whiz bang 3d computer graphics and i thought wait this sensibility this sensibility is so enjoyable the dialogue the it almost reminds me of irene dunn and and cary grant and I th- so my favorite I, film. You've got my favorite gonna... film there, The Awful Truth. Okay. Everyone see that. Then I got it. All right. I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I wonder if Whit Stillman's favorite director is Leo McCary. If this, okay. So it, it, it's true. Well, that's, that's just a wonderful film. That's one of my favorite films. And I love that whole period. And a lot of the sort of techniques we used in the film to keep it fast and funny were techniques that were sort of learned and used in the 30s and then kind of forgotten. So they did all kinds of things that were really interesting. And so we do these little portraits of the characters to introduce them. And at the end, we do yes, a yes. sort of uh, curtain call with all the actresses, all the actors saying things. And uh, those are very much sort of uh, classic golden age of Hollywood, 1930s uh, techniques. Got it. And the other bit that, then to James, but the other bit is that those movies, the Irene Dunn, Cary Grant, the, those were written. It was dialogue that actually moved those things along. Plus, I, in my opinion, I suppose people could differ about this, but in my opinion, Irene Dunn, the strong but witty woman, she's the one who drives the whole movie. Cary Grant is absolutely wonderful, but she's the driving force. She's sort of the rudder or the, or the, or the, the main plot line, I felt. It, much as in Love and Friendship, the lead female role drives the whole picture. Oh, well. I, I, I used to think that The Awful Truth invented Cary Grant, that they sort of created his character uh, in The Awful Truth, but then later I saw another film where he was already doing that character. But yeah, yeah I think about Irene Dunn a lot, and when I did A Damsel's in Distress with Greta Gerwig, I sort of told her she really should think about Irene Dunn, rather than just go off in the indie comedy world that James disparages, saying they're 
just people talking about Woody Allen all the time. Uh, I heard that last week. Uh, and, and, uh, and to take, um, to take Irene Dunn as the model, not just sort of getting out of the pure indie model um, and think about careers like that. Irene Dunn was wonderful. Yeah, that's the oh. trouble with Woody Allen movies is that nobody's talking about Woody Allen movies. They're just the sort yes. of people you would think would be nattering on about Woody Allen yes. movies. But a I do think there are a lot of good you know, indie comedies uh, these days. There's a whole sort of bunch of them in the past six years. Don't ask me to name them. <laughs> and, and not to disparage Woody Allen. I've loved a lot of his work. Yeah. Um, if, you, if anybody's interested in, in uh, hearing what Witt likes about other movies of uh, the, uh, the older nature, they can go to Criterion, that great restorer of uh, classic heritage, and find his top ten list. And if you look at these, and I am looking at it right now, you see, of course, the great Hitchcock films. Um, and it, it, when I think of the films of the 40s, as you were talking about before, you really get the sense when you combine it with... Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With your copy of Life magazine and what was on the radio at the time, of a fairly coherent culture. It wasn't as yes. variegated and kaleidoscopic as ours, but it was there, and there's advantages to that. There's a certain sort of familiarity and continuity that 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 that, that gives a culture and a society and a country when it uh, when when there's a feeling that all of these things are of a part. When did that start? Do you think to break up? Was it when the studio system cracked up and the the auteurs of the '60s started doing it, or and the and the '70s started doing it? When television split from three channels or four to 400, when did we start to lose the general sense of an overarching cultural narrative? Well, that's that's really a big question for several of your podcasts, probably. Uh, You've got 30 I mean, seconds. I think, I think we think, you know, the 60s is the big, the big break. And um, that's why sort of, for me, Metropolitan, the first film, was sort of poignant because my own experience was right in 68, 69 that I was having that experience when the world was sort of going crazy. And yet there are still sort of outmoded modes still going on. Um, so that was interesting. But I think in, this, in the film industry sense, things um, broke down really quickly. There was really a, a golden age that ended. And um, so I really loved films before 1942 and precious few films after 1942, um, except in, in sort of the new modes. I mean, in that great 
studio period. And some people say it was because the studios lost their audience in Europe and, and hereabouts there. And other people say it was just the opposite. It was that any film they put out during the war um, was really popular because people were just desperate to watch anything. So the whole sort of standards fell apart. There's a whole bunch of things. I think people learn formulas. And when they learn formulas, things stop being as good because everything becomes sort of a copy of something else. And But it's a wonderful period from sort of um, 1930 to 1942, just such great films. 42, that's a fascinating cutoff. I, when you were talking before about making changes to the script while it's shooting, Casablanca, of course, if I remember the story, they were they were writing the end of it right up until they were doing the end of it. And then Casablanca, having been so beloved and successful, they they, they kept trying to do it in other cities yeah. with, with combinations, you know, of, of and they did things. a pretty and they did a pretty good job. Those are pretty good. And actually, that's an exception to the rule because I think Casablanca was like forty four, and they did you know Passage to Marseille. Or I'm not yeah. sure which was first and which was second. But there's a whole bunch of have and have not. So it's true. There's whole 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 bunch of things. And for me, the sort of classic directors, the auteur directors that we love and admire, are those who are able to keep on going, making great films after the studios um, were falling apart. So John Ford, Hitchcock, and to some extent Howard Hawks are still doing that. I mean, my favorite, um, John Ford, is a film called uh, Wagon Master. It's just marvelous. It's rarely seen because it's one of his indies when he was doing um, uh, Argosy Pictures with Marion Cooper, who is another wonderful character who, who fought in the 1920 anti-Bolshevik war. He was in the... Uh, um, the squadron of American pilots who went over to, to fight with Poland in 1920. And, um, wow. And was shot down. And people believe that Isaac Babel's Red Cavalry uh, captured Marion Cooper. There's all this legend about it. And that was um, uh, John Ford's great friend and collaborator, Marion Cooper. Hmm. Wow. Um, hey, Wit, it's Rob again. Um, we were talking once, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. And, you, and, and there's a character in Barcelona um, – Played by Taylor Nichols, great actor, and it's a young salesman, on um, ambitious young salesman in in Barcelona, American salesman in Barcelona, who listens to Dale Carnegie. Yes, and you told me that there was this strange reaction to that, and it was the people were saying, "Oh, come on, you know, no one listens to you're you're only putting it in there to make fun of Dale Carnegie. It must be snarky. It must be some kind of." Uh, you must be make, trying to make some point, and you. I think you said at the time. You said that it was it was amazing to me that no one, no one just assumed that somebody who wanted to, you know, get ahead in business and in life would be listening to, you know, the world's most influential, you know, personal coach. I guess. Do you, do you find? I mean, do you find that still is the case that 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 the stuff that you're you're writing about and thinking about is stuff that maybe um, the paymasters in L.A. who congratulates you are not your paymasters. Uh, just don't get. I mean, do they well, just not get that, it. That's the interesting story. I think I was probably telling you about a story meeting at, at Castle Rock, and um, it was actually the paymaster who was good. It was the screenwriter <laughs> Kibitzer who came in. Who so we were having a story meeting at Castle Rock. Was the head of the company who's going on to have really big um, studio jobs and do really well. And he, and he, he, he frankly was great. The businessman was great. Um, so this this screenplay expert, screenwriter Kibitzer. Um, was there, and he said, now, you know, in this script, you have this character listening to, uh, reading uh, Dale Carnegie and Drucker and, and all these people, um, um, you know, all these salesmen manuals mm-hmm. and, and business self-help books, 
And, you know, he really should at the end see through these and decide these are right. not val- valuable and all that. And then I said, well, no, I, these, I put in the ones that I really like. These are really helpful to me. I, I had to sell at one point and I, and these are books sort of the godsend. And, and I really like them, think they're very constructive. <laughs> and the head of, uh, the head of Castrock, who went on to be, is now the head of Disney, um, said, no, these are great books. They're, they, it's true. They're terrific and they have good advice. And yes, they're bad business books, but they're also really, really good self-help books. And, and so we won that argument. And, uh, <laughs> and so that was, that was one of the great things of working in Robert Runner's company, um, Castle Rock. They, they generally were terrific and, and really respectful and, and new comedy. And I mean, they'd call you up and, and I remember, um, Martin Schaefer at Castrock calling up about the Barcelona script and he started saying, you know, he gave me all the honeyed parts, all the sugar parts about right, right, right. the good stuff. And then he was going to give you me love the, it. It's great. It's the, the going to give me the, cast, the, the castor yeah. oil. Um, and he said, now about the ending and before he could finish the sentence, I realized the ending was a disaster. And I also realized how I could fix the ending, what I could, the different ending. And that was so great. Versus the experience I sometimes had in London with like five people at a company putting all their notes together and sending me an email with right. 20 pages of comments and notes, which is really not helpful or respectful. It's so much better when people talk to you about something mm. and you can think of things while you're talking and it just makes it much huh. better. Yeah, no, I, I, I know you got to run, but I, 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 I just have to say I have the opposite feeling. I, I always like to have them put it in writing because making them write it down is so hard. That they tend oh, really? to just like only write a few uh, things down. So, but so, but this is. But I will try your technique. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll talk to you uh, in a few months and let you know if it works for me or not. Well, one thing I want to. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention uh, before you shut me down um, <laughs> is uh, uh, I got so carried away with this material and, and had so sort of uh, the, the very silly characters I like. So I went ahead and wrote a, a, a derivative tie-in novel also called, well, it's called Love and Friendship in which um, Jane Austen's Lady Susan Vernon is entirely vindicated. And it's the nephew who defends his aunt whom he loves who, who argues her case very implausibly. Oh, how great. And so this has now been published actually by Jane Austen's publishers, the John no. Press, yes, the John Murray Press has published it in the in the United Kingdom. It's Little Brown in the United States, but so I have a novel out too, just to that, be. Un- that's wow. to be incredibly to be to be incredibly insufferable. You also have a novel out. Yes, and, yes. Really and, and, and you managed <laughs> you managed to plug it at the end of the movie too, because uh, according to IMDb, at the conclusion of the end credits, there's a line encouraging viewers to read the novel quote in which Lady Susan Vernon is thoroughly vindicated. End quote. And Wit, I'll just tell you this: I think. Frankly, if I'd been in Hollywood and given you notes, I would have insisted that you, that that line can stay. But we, we should have Samuel L. Jackson with an eye patch come on and deliver it because that's <laughs> that's what people expect at the end of the credits. Wood Stillman, it has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope to talk to you again when the Amazon streaming series is the hit that we know it will be. Congratulations, very much. Really pleased. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. See, that's uh, the future of media is not necessarily, you know, movies, of course, we will always love to go see the story told on the big screen, Um, but it's also streaming. Who would have thought that when Amazon started up, you know, sending you books to your door quickly, that they would also then become (laughs) a house that gives you all kinds of really cool television shows that are head and shoulders above the stuff that you get from the nets? It's incredible. 
I mean, it's right. what the internet does, frankly. And you know, and the the, the, uh, the we were complaining about those big movies and the big superhero movies, but on the other hand, this new media landscape also allows, and I think encourages more people like Wit to make these smaller but incredibly idiosyncratic and wonderful pictures. I mean, I you know, I, I he's a good friend of mine, and I and I uh, I've always wished him well, but I just think this is a great great um, moment for him, and I'm really. I'm really pleased he came on to share that with us. Right, and while we may talk, as we did, about the loss of cultural cohesion when there were fewer products and they all came from the same places and there was a certain sort of similarity, the options now that we have are so extraordinary that you can't really say that the the old way was better. Can you? I mean, I like the fact that I can go on Amazon and I can pick up Whit Stillman's new show as opposed to waiting for it to come on and then missing the first five minutes because I was elsewhere. That's that's an archaic way of thinking that is so bygone. Yeah. It's a, it's like going to the store to buy your drugstore razors. To right. Yeah, stand standing in line or something. Preposterous. And nobody does that. No. The internet lets the blades come to you when you want them. And that's why harrys.com is one of those marvelous modern inventions that makes your life easier. Started by a couple of passionate guys who wanted to create a better shaving experience, and they did it because that's what it is. It's my favorite blade. It's the way it's balanced, the way it holds in your hand, the scent of the emollients that they use to to make your face ready for the kiss of the razor. Oh, it's a great product. Well, how do they deliver this? It's it's pretty simple, really. They bought a factory in Germany that makes uh, steel blades. German steel blades for over 100 years. And by cutting out the middleman, they uh, offer, uh, not literally cutting, uh, they can offer a amazing shame at a fraction of the price of the drugstore brands. And they come right to your house at factory direct prices. Starter kit is $15, as you may have heard. That includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of various shave cream or foaming shave gel. I've become partial to the gel, I have to say. I used to be ecumenical in my preference, but now I'm a gel man. Added bonus, though, you can get $5 off your first po- your first purchase with the coupon code RICOCHET. And after using that code, you get a month's worth of shaving, a whole month, for $10. Shipping is free, as we say. You don't have to drive to the store, park, go in, swipe your card, and satisfaction is guaranteed. Go to harrys.com now, and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in the code RICOCHET with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter the coupon code RICOCHET at checkout for $5 off, and you will start Shaving smarter as soon as that wonderful box arrives. Now we have to talk about uh, other things, and it's a choice. Let's see. Should we talk about the Second Amendment? Should we talk about Brexit? So many things. Oh, if only there was somebody who was knowledgeable on both. And of course, there is. Our friend Charles C.W. Cook, the newly minted fresh online editor at National Review. Graduate of Oxford, at which he studied modern history and politics. His work is focused especially on Anglo-American history, British liberty, free speech, the Second Amendment, and American exceptionalism. He's one of those few people who actually still believes in that, unlike most of the people in our political landscape today. He's the co-host of the Mad Dogs and Englishmen podcast, and we welcome back. Charles, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Are you dissolving in a puddle of tears over what's happening across in the pond in Blighty, or uh, do you think that there's a tremendous amount of screaming and hideous overreaction? The latter. Uh, I've been appalled at the way in which not only British elites uh, have reacted. Yes, I am one of them. I just have different views. And uh, American elites as well. I think we've uh, all become chicken little. Hmm. Charlie, Peter Robinson here. First of all, correct my figures if I'm wrong, but it occurred to me to wonder how many of the 650 members of the House of Commons supported Brexit. And what I come up with is 157 members of the Tory party and two members of the Labour party making 159, 
or much less than one-third of the entire body, which suggests that most of the members of the House of Commons got it wrong on the most important issue of a generation and that the political class either has to hunker down and fight for its position or find itself turned over dramatically. Right, wrong, overstatement, what am I missing? There's certainly a disconnect. Uh, from my perspective, they got it wrong. I'm in favor of leave. I think as a general matter, uh, the representatives of the people being out of step with the people is not always a bad thing. And the American system is built on the presumption uh, that it can be a good thing, certainly uh, with the Senate, with the way the constitutional amendment process is built. Uh, will of the people tends to be a, a progressive term more than a conservative term. But in this case, we are dealing with a matter of fundamental sovereignty and that the political class uh, believes one thing and that the citizenry, or at least a small majority, um, uh, narrow majority of the citizenry believe another thing, is a little dangerous. I don't think it's dangerous enough to yield any likelihood that the plebiscite will be ignored. Mm-hmm. Not only do I think there'll be a constitutional crisis if that happens, Britain has an unwritten constitution, but we can still have constitutional crises. Uh, but I think the Labour Party would find itself in uh, even more dire straits than it currently does because uh, it would have its heels bitten off by the UK Independence Party. Uh, and lose uh, seats all over the place. So I don't think that's going to happen. But yes, there is a real disconnect. And Charlie, it, the, the latest, again, this is me in California. It's been a long time since I set foot in England, let alone studied there ages ago. So it's me trying to piece things. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free and anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Together, sitting here in California. Um, the question now is which of two models, by the way, re- you know, adjust my question a little on your way to giving an answer if you'd like, but as I understand it, there's the Norway, Norwegian model. Norway's not a member of the EU, but has come to an arrangement whereby it pays the EU a little money and permits free movement of labor 
It accepts anybody from the EU who wants to move to Norway in return for access to the European market. And then there's the Canadian model, which is much more arm's length from the EU, and Canada retains full control over immigration into Canada. And to my surprise, as best I can tell, again, I keep saying as best I can tell, Boris Johnson, certainly of the Brexit campaigners, the most, the one who made it through the clutter most here in the United States, seems to be leaning toward the Norwegian model when a third of the people told pollsters that they were voting for Brexit because they wanted to regain control of immigration. What on earth is going on? Why doesn't he just embrace the full separation represented by, again, the Canadian model? Why don't they just chuck all the models and say, we're going to negotiate from scratch, here's what we want, we'll invent a British model? I think the problem here is that while there was a narrow majority for leaving, uh, the reasons for leaving and uh, the preferred model uh, once Britain had left uh, was a matter of considerable debate. Now, I'm obviously not comparing this to the American Revolution directly. They were uh, different uh, structurally uh, uh, as well as um, on the merits. But uh, the founders, once they had got what they wanted, i.e. separation from Britain, disagreed among themselves as to the ideal form of government. Uh, you would have seen, had you been in the salons in uh, the 1780s, uh, a Hamilton faction and a Jefferson faction and a Madison faction and a Washington uh, faction. And that's what you're seeing now. Uh, it is the case that uh, a coalition was put together that wanted out of the EU, but there is now going to be an almighty fight uh, as to what should be done next. And I think the reason for that is that sovereignty, like free speech, is a neutral concept. When a person stands up and says, I wish to be able to speak freely, they're not uh, forecasting what they're going to say. Likewise, some people wanted the sovereignty back so that they could pass stricter immigration laws. Some people wanted sovereignty back on a, a matter of principle. Some people wanted sovereignty back because they thought that they could negotiate a better deal with the EU. Right. There are liberal internationalists in the UK uh, who would essentially, if given free reign, reconstruct most of the relationship with the EU, but through Parliament uh, on, on a basis that could be tinkered with uh, at will. So it's not that odd to me that we're now seeing a fight. Uh, had the Remain side won, there would also have been a fight because many conservatives uh, and centre-right advocates of Remain in Britain don't like the EU. They don't like the way uh, it's structured. They just thought that on balance throwing the whole thing out was too risky. Uh, it just so happens that leave prevailed and therefore that's where the fight is. Charlie, one last question from Peter before I let Rob and James come in here, um, as if I could prevent them much longer. The, the almighty fight that you're talking about that is going to take, again, from the point of view of Americans trying to sort out what's going on, that almighty fight will take place largely within the battle for leadership of the conservative party. Is that what we need to keep our eyes on? I think that's partly the case. And, of course, we're also seeing a battle within the Labour Party. It's not just because Jeremy Corbyn was weak in his defense of the Remain campaign. And it's not just because he's seen as a liability. Uh, the fight you're seeing on the left is the product of, of fissures, important fissures. But 
the so yeah, I mean yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna see some of that fight uh, in the in the two leadership campaigns that we're probably going to see. Um, but you're also going to see it once those leadership campaigns have been wrapped up, because there's going to be a negotiation, and as with all negotiations. Uh, both sides will offer and counter-offer. Uh, the lay of the land will become more apparent once Britain opts to leave. Uh, the uh, Europeans will make clear what they will accept and what they won't. Britain will have to take some risks. Europe will have to take some risks. Uh, and when that happens, um, when Europe threatens Britain, when Britain threatens Europe, people are going to line up on one or other side uh, of the divide. So I think it's going to be fractious for quite a long time now. Uh, the only uh, the only thing I would say is that I, I'm not sure why people are surprised by this. I mean, people are surprised the markets reacted as they did. They're surprised that people are angry with one another. They're surprised this is going to lead to a long and protracted fight. It was always going to. The, the reason that there is so much shock, I think, is that for some reason, no one thought this would actually happen. Charlie, uh, go ahead, James. Here's the uh, one, of, one of the things that I constantly heard from the young folk who were bewailing the horrible, dank future into which they had now been consigned was their loss of, an, of a European identity. They didn't really want to be British. They wanted to be European, uh, which is something that's very attractive when you're 19 to 21, I suppose. Is that, ident- that European identity that they seem to want to constantly forge, is, that, is this the beginning of a reality setting in and making people realize that actually, no, there are nations, there are tribes? Or are we going to see the, uh, the Davos sect uh, double down and continue to reinforce a, a pan-national European identity? I don't think that the Davos sect realizes the scope of its opposition. I don't think that you can create new Soviet man. I don't think that this Helmut Kohl-led vision for a, a European polity in which divisions and disagreements and past events were wiped out is ever and could ever happen. Uh, firstly, I think that one massive failing, and this is true of America as well, of the elite class in the last few years has been to fail to understand just how much people care about sovereignty, how much people care about local government uh, and about keeping uh, their country their country. Now, it doesn't have to be sinister. Uh, That can be a good thing. America was built on this conception of civil society, which does require some sort of cohesion. Britain is more like that than is France or Germany. Uh, And Britons are not the French. Britons are not Italians. Uh, They're not the Germans. They don't even speak the same language. Uh, so I think the first thing is they, they've totally underestimated uh, the, the opposition there. Um, and the second thing is that far from bringing people together, it seems to me that the European Union has started to serve as a, uh, a cause of dissension, uh, a cause of anger. Uh, the idea, the claim we always hear is that the EU stopped a war. It stopped a third European war in the 20th century. I don't think that's true. I think NATO stopped a third European war, if there was ever going to be one. I think the American military stopped a third European here, war. Here, 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 here. Um, but I also think that uh, at one point, the flowery language you hear coming out of Brussels probably was bought into. Uh, by a good number of citizens of the various countries within Europe. 
And now it's not. Uh, to me, this is a little bit like the Internet. When you hear Silicon Valley wax lyrical about the Internet, they always say it's this great fount of knowledge. It's this place where we can all meet and in mutual understanding, spend time together. But actually what we do is we just berate one another online and scream about racism <laughs> in the comments on YouTube. And the European Union has become similar. We hear from Brussels this, this florid description of uh, unity and harmony and peace and mutual understanding and love. But I think that the French are more angry with the Germans than they have been for a long time. I think the British are angry with Angela Merkel over her immigration policies. I think Eastern Europe is terrified of Putin and thinks the only good country in Europe is Britain uh, because it is closer to America in terms of foreign policy. So I don't think that it's doing a great deal of what it was supposed to do. And I think it's arguably causing more upset, especially with the way the euro has collapsed and the resentments that's caused that, than good. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the articles that I read that had a long lament for the post-historical world into which we were all supposed to go, uh, used as its metaphor for this, this now lost future, Europe Endless, a song by Kraftwerk, about, which, was, which was done when Germany was still divided, and how this, this, this hymn to speeding across Europe with its sparkly vistas and its real-life views and all the rest of it, I thought, you know, going to an uncertain destination on a German train is not exactly my idea of a wonderful future, <laughs> uh, given the precedence. Rob, you had a question. I do. Um, Charles, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm sort of sanguine here, or overly sanguine. So, you know, the, uh, the invoke Article 50, there's a year of wrangling, there's probably ups and downs, and, you know, people storming out of meetings and coming back to meetings. Um, they have to get it all wrapped up in two years, or it sort of happens automatically. Um, what if it's all okay? And I guess what I mean to say is, what if the polar ice caps don't melt and the seas don't rise three feet as they were predicted to have risen in 2015 or something? What if all of this is some kind of uh, charade, a con game played on ordinary people to terrify them into, you know, I don't know, changing their light bulbs or or, uh, or staying part of Europe. It all feels kind of, of a piece. As I was driving, I was telling the guys earlier, as I was driving uh, uh, at night on Thursday night listening to BBC World Service, the hysteria of it is that people were furious, especially people in the markets, were furious. The markets were volatile. Like that's a bad thing uh, just in and of itself. Well, isn't a part of this just the kind of the slight gleeful tweaking uh, that the non-elites are feeling towards the elites who are constantly telling them that the sky is falling? I agree with you. I, I've been sanguine from the beginning. It's constantly um, uh, insisted that Britain is in the midst of a terrible historic crisis because the Conservative Party is going to have to choose a new leader and the Labour Party is in turmoil. <laughs> I don't believe that that's how free societies work. I don't believe that's how old societies work. And Britain is an old uh, liberal democracy. Uh, this is, in my mind, akin to the sort of freakouts that we see when there's a government shutdown. People say, well, what on earth will we all do? Right, right. And they realize by day three that it hasn't... <laughs> mattered at all in terms of the the bullying you've seen and i use that word advisedly but it is bullying from elites on both sides of the atlantic i have to say i have been utterly appalled 
Uh, not only because I saw it firsthand, my uh, family, at least for England, is ridiculously mixed race, and most of them were for leave. Um, and watching my black cousin and my Malaysian brother-in-law being told that they were racist by a series of white <laughs> progressives was really a sight to behold. But, but more, more broadly, uh, instantly, as soon as the vote was announced, you saw these pathetic attempts at narrative building. We were told that right. uh, these stupid leave voters had instantly taken to Google and vote uh, and searched a lie what is the eu yeah, right. well, well 1000 people did it we don't know that they were leave voters we don't know that they were even voters at all um we don't know how old they were uh 1000 people does not a trend make uh, and if you compare that to other google searches after monumental events for example when mitt romney lost in 2012 it doesn't even compare should we presume therefore that the american people were rending their garments having made such a mistake Exactly, um, and they did the same thing with this petition. This, oh my goodness, three million people signed a petition saying they want to do over. Firstly, even if they had, that doesn't matter because sixteen million people voted to remain. So of course, some of them want to do over. But secondly, it seems to have been a hoax all across the board. There has been this narrative that there is regret and people have realized how stupid they've been. Really what's happening is the media is telling people that they've been stupid and then pretending that they're agreeing with them. But they're not. The polls show the opposite. In fact, there are four times more people who are upset about the result. Uh, sorry, there are four times more uh, leave voters who are uh, – I'll start again. There are four times more remain voters who are happy with the result than leave voters who are unhappy with the result. Well, well hard before, I, I know we have to let you go, but I have one more, one more, one more thought here uh, about, about that. I mean, traditionally, the elites, the, the reason that the people in charge, uh, the reasons they give for being in charge is, well, you know, we don't want mob rule, right? Because if, if left to the people, the people will, you know, do something insane. We need, a, we need to attenuate their power. But it does seem like everywhere you look, certainly in the culture and in politics across the Atlantic, it's the elites who seem to be hysterics. The elites saying that you know the, the Earth is going to die tomorrow, and uh, Britain's going to be plunged into a twenty-year um, depression. Uh, it's the elites who seem to be painting these incredible nightmare scenarios that the people are just kind of exhausted by it. Because at a certain point, if the if if the climate doesn't change and and the island of Manhattan isn't under two feet of water, then what else can you conclude but that everything's a lie? <laughs> I couldn't agree with you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> but with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. More. <laughs> yeah, it's I just thought a, it's, <laughs> Well, it's been a temper tantrum we've seen. It's been a, a 
vast temper tantrum and it's become more and more ridiculous people like ian bremer saying this is the scariest moment in world history since the cuban missile crisis the brookings institute says this will be the biggest disaster of the 21st century if he's right if they're right the 21st century is going to be a paradise compared to the 20th <laughs> exactly century right. exactly right. what's it's been very silly well, we need them to say these things because if, 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 if they just say that everything is going to be okay, who listens to somebody there? Where's the excitement there? They have to build a narrative in order to keep people hooked in, and, which is why, Charlie, I'd like to ask you why you support giving automatic weapons to terrorists as, out of the trunk of your car. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's another narrative that they're building that perhaps we can discuss the next time. Thank you for joining us today in the podcast. We'll see you down the road. Thank, Thank you for having me. And, of course, you can see him at National Review. Um, yes, Rob, I think you're, you're, you're right. What if it's not the end of the world? People are tired of being told that it's always the end of the world. We're always at a crisis. And yeah. when some of us point out things that are actual possible threats, we're the hysterics and the xenophobes. And the, you know. But in Britain right now, you, just, you think of the old saturnine British personality, the classic, uh, you know, sort of uh, muddled through type of character. And to think that an anxiety is now besetting them. Uh, it goes back to that old line what the uh, British women used to tell their daughters on their wedding night. Lie back and think of England. Well, apparently now that's kind of difficult because England is a thing that they worry about unless they're on a Casper. If you're on a Casper mattress. Oh! oh. oh, oh three that's a, this is a, that was PG-13. Well, I, I, had, I had to do it quickly because... Uh, that was a PG-13 transition? No, I, I, possibly I so. Yeah, parental guidance is, is uh, part of the deal. But uh, if you're a parent with a child, you would guide them to sleep on a Casper. And if you have one, you probably have them outfitted in all the rooms because it's just that good a product. It's the online retailer, the only online, time, online retailer of premium mattresses for this kind of price. The mattress industry, you know, has always forced you to, to pay notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms, cost a lot to keep the lights on, and passing the savings to you. It provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. And I've been sleeping on one for a couple of years now, and I can attest to that. It's one of a kind. It's a hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. Now, you think... That's going to cost a pile, right? Well, mattresses usually cost over fifteen hundred bucks, but a Casper, ah, five hundred for a twin, six hundred for a twin XL, seven fifty for a full, eight fifty for a queen, and nine fifty for a king. If you've shopped for kings, you know that's a good price. Uh, it's risk free for you, though. Casper will offer the free delivery to you and returns within a hundred day period. That's simple. Now, lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has got zero correlation to whether it's the right bed for you that's why it takes a hundred nights or maybe 10 but i think the first time you get on a casper you'll realize it's the one for you they've turned this buying process into a risk-free experience they understand the importance of trying it out so you're going to spend a third of your life on this thing so yeah you'll want a hundred nights but like i say the first one you're going to think where's this been all my life so why buy one from them well it's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price it's a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. And they're made in America. 500 for a twin, 950 for a king. Compare that to industry averages. It's outstanding. So 50 bucks off your first purchase, if you like. Go to Casper.com slash Ricochet and use the coupon code Ricochet at the checkout. And we will all sleep better knowing that you did. And we thank them for sponsoring this, the Ricochet podcast. Well, speaking of Ricochet, lots in the member feed, as usual, um, about the things you might expect. It's not all Trump, but it seems odd that we've done a pod- <laughs> it seems odd we've done a podcast here without talking about him. And is isn't that be- nice? Isn't mm. it nice? Is that because there's just no point? 
there's one thing, I think Doc J had something about this. Uh, was it Doc J who was talking about VDH joining the, uh, the Rabble Alliance and saying, essentially, there's nothing that Never Trumpers can contribute to the conversation at this point. Uh, Brian Wolf wrote Confessions of an Almost Never Trumper and What Could Make Me Change My Mind. He wrote, so how can I make, how, how can my mind be changed? I need evidence that Trump's core principles align with mine. I would need to see evidence that Trump is acquiring experienced hands that he actually listens to and that he's honing his knowledge and policy so he can bring conservative reforms. I would need to see him willing to sacrifice his own instincts for the betterment of the Republican conservative movements. In essence, I need evidence that he's willing to sacrifice for the good of the country, even if that means he is not personally winning. And if that's what you need, you're, you're not going to get it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, and then, ergo, either get on board or uh, or artillery, right? Um, Peter? Oh no! I, was, <laughs> I, I, I I'm I'm spent on this subject. I'm just yeah, me too. Spent. No, no, I couldn't agree more. Me too. He gave a major speech just yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yes, it was just yesterday on trade in which, oh my goodness, I thought to myself, I think I even put up a post to this effect, after Brexit, I thought, here's what Donald Trump and the Republicans should do. They should announce that they're, going, that they're formally going to invite Britain to join NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, Ronald Reagan's great achievement. Uh, and instead, Trump said he's going to rip it up. Rip yeah. it up and confront the Chinese. It springtime for exactly. tariffs and unions. Yeah. I know. So, so this is. I'm sure. I'm only saying this to give Rob because Rob is such a good friend, and I know that driving for hours every day across the country is hard work. I'm giving him this moment of pleasure to let him gloat, to let him chortle. He predicted this would happen to me just when I thought Trump would be president, would start to act presidential. He'd start to mute some of his more. Well, some of his positions and in dress speeches, he would he would sound. And this was a dress speech. It was carefully considered, written down. He delivered it. And ah, right. Right. (laughs) That's like a that's a Wilhelm scream. That's that's me with my finger, my hands on the side of my head, like the Edvard Munch uh, portrait. Uh Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sort of not. um, I have no energy to talk about the. Never Trump movement, or the only Trump movement, or the Never Hillary movement, or any of that. I just I kind of find these things silly. I, I would rather just talk about the problem with national electoral politics, is what we're seeing right now. If you uh, are if you are given to telling yourself, you know, come comeback stories. I mean, and uh, fantastic movie stories with terrific third acts where the guy, the underdog, wins. Um, then this this this. The past 62 polls, national polls, shouldn't bother you. But if, if, you, if you aren't if – you, if you don't believe that those things happen in real life, uh, then they should bother you and they should worry you and they should worry you for real reasons. Um, Trump won a plurality of the votes in the Republican primary. Uh, the, and the number of votes he won is a little less than one-half of the number of minority votes expected to be cast in November. It is true that you can sit in a hot bathtub and take a nice hot bath, but if you take that hot water and you pour it into an Olympic-sized swimming pool, it's not going to heat the pool. You cannot boil the ocean with all the heat that the Trump generates. Trump's support is getting stronger and stronger and stronger among people who support him, and his negatives are going up and up and up among people who are undecided. That is not a good 
sign in July. So whether you think he's right or wrong or whether you think he's the candidate or not the candidate, it, it should – you are doing your candidate no service to fantasize about what's going to happen in November or after the first debate. You would do your candidate a better service if you put the pressure on him to pull himself together and appeal to the center of the country, that, and that is who elects the president, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether this conforms to your wish or your hope or your preference for the American po- po- polity. It is exactly how it is, and whether Trump can win or not win is going to depend entirely on whether the delusional fantasy land that is Trump Tower can be permeated by – the smart people who are want him to win. I mean, I don't think the people who want him to win are necessarily dumb. I think they're smart. But it, as long as they are slavishly acolytes, slavish cheerleaders to everything Trump says and does, and they spend all of their time worrying about the never Trumpers, they are going to ride this horse to defeat. They need to get their candidate in order. I don't hear a lot of slavish defenses of what he says because I think that what he says is regarded uh, by a lot of his fans as irrelevant. Uh, he'll say this and he said that and he said this before. What matters is that they trust his instincts and that he will get in and do the right things. And even if he says, even if the right thing that they like was something that he said three months ago and he's repudiated it since, it doesn't matter. That is the right thing and he will do it. I mean, if Make America Great is your general umbrella for this whole thing without a great deal of specifics, uh, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter what he says. Really. Well, unfortunately, well, we live in America in 2016, and, 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 and oh, do we what you need to oh, win. Do we? Yeah. You know, that's, it doesn't work. That's None of that you, works. That's what you say from your entertainment <laughs> I know, bubble. yeah. Like, conservative. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, even, at, even, even on his wrong position on free trade, what is there to be said in favor of Donald Trump? What is the Hillary Clinton is a catastrophe. I'm still, even right. though Trump is shocking me by refusing to do things that I would consider really quite simple, like give speeches that make him sound presidential. And, and the notion that he has to cease being his true self to do that is ridiculous. His true self is so well established. The speeches could be written in such a way that it's clearly the same Donald Trump delivering them, but that he, he, he just sounds like a pre anyway, that wouldn't be hard. And he's just, he's just not, not doing it. All of that said, Hillary Clinton is still Hillary Clinton. People are understandably rightly in my judgment, furious, that somehow or other the country seems sub- very sub- – there is a – even as in Brussels, there is a permanent elite that doesn't seem to respond to the popular will at all in Europe. Likewise in Washington. What was it – Oh, yes, that's right. This struck me and it, it struck other people too to judge from comments that got written here, there, and everywhere on the web. Barack Obama bought a mansion – for several million dollars right. in Calorama, which is the fanciest, well, maybe there are one, one or two yeah. others, but one of the fanciest neighborhoods in Washington, D.C., to which to retire. Six-bedroom mansion. I think the price was five, six, seven, eight million dollars. From whom did he purchase this? From a former press secretary to Bill Clinton. No press secretary has contributed enough to the national economy to deserve to own a $6 million mansion. What clearly has happened here is this is a representative of the new, the permanent class in Washington 
in and out of government. And when you're out of government, you make big money manipulating the system that the founders erected on behalf of your clients, not in response to the American people, but on behalf of your clients. Right. People look at that and say, this is an outrage. So all of that strikes me as commendable and good. I just wish Trump would behave a little bit, little, okay, enough. Well, like look, you, I'm just worn out. I'm just worn yeah. out. But, but you drill down to the numbers, um, and you you know there's all sorts of ways to describe favorable, unfavorable, trustworthy, not trustworthy, all sorts of things. And you know the irony about the irony of ironies is that we are on the precipice of electing the, the least liked candidate in history as president of the United States. I mean, we're, he, he, Hillary Clinton. I mean, well, yeah, well, I think it's more likely, I mean, it's, I, overwhelmingly yeah. likely, it's Hillary, but. What's interesting about it is that if you actually drill down to the numbers, the, what, what the, the question it, that it seems to be, to me anyway, dispositive is, do, does he make you nervous? Mm-hmm. And she is a liar and a crook and a thief, but she doesn't make you nervous. Mm-hmm. And he a little, is a, a liar, but not, probably not a crook, maybe a crook. But not a thief, maybe a little bit of a thief, depending on how this Trump University. Well, if you if you bought into those Mexican condominiums, which is another story. (laughs) Yeah, I'm saying how many are there? How many of these things that went south? But he makes people nervous. Yes, it's not really going to come down to remarkably. I don't think it's going to come down to character or uh, trustworthiness or any of the things that we traditionally want to associate with our leaders. It's just going to come down to I. I can depend on her to behave in a predictable way, venal, uh, greedy, um, etc. And and, plus, and and I and I can't depend on him. Plus, and she brings, therefore she, I vote for her. It, it, and it's a twofer. She brings along a gaunt, syphilitic, lecherous cohort, you know, uh, your consort. So uh, that'll that that'll be fun as well. You know. So you, you, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to register just a slight protest against, or a slight dissent from Rob. Rob is arguing on the polling numbers. I argue. I draw the same conclusion that it's over that it's very likely to be Hillary Clinton, but I argue from different numbers. In my judgment, it's so early still in the race that Trump has a chance to move the polls if he wages a campaign. But his FEC filing, which showed that during a period right. when Hillary Clinton had raised forty-two million dollars, he had raised a little under a million and a half. Even that wouldn't be the end of things if we had the sense that Donald Trump really were worth $10 billion and intended to spend some piece of his fortune waging a real campaign. Mm-hmm. But, those not, but we know that's not true. He's not raising money. You can't change those poll numbers unless you fight, unless you wage a campaign. And in my judgment, the free media is not going to carry him through November. Well, some of his defenders are saying that the reason he doesn't have the money is that he's not getting the donor class, the fat cats, the guys who employ all the illegal aliens. They don't want their illegal aliens to be taken away, so they're not going to give them any money. So when this is all done, we'll just have to find those Jewish financiers who stabbed us in the back. <laughs> well, but look, that's a But how many I mean, Jews are there is, in America anyway? I just got to ask. Yeah, that is partially true how many in a sense. Jews are Go on. Um, it's par- partially true in, in in a sense because you know if you spend a year exactly a year um, claiming that all donors are corrupt and stupid yes and yes, that exactly the, right. and that and that you you uh, you don't need their money and you're smarter than they are and then you say to the last person to raise a whole lot of money who'd be really useful having your side he's a loser 
Mitt Romney and a jerk and a joke. And then you say to the at least the most powerfully powerful fundraising network in the Republican Party, the Bush family, and you say, well, the former President George W. Bush is responsible in part for the for for nine eleven. Um, and then you wonder why they're not on your side. Then you wonder why they're not coming to your aid. Right. And the argument from his side is always, you should unify. You should do that. No, no, no. That's not how politics works. Politics does not, does not work that I think of all the favors I can do for you as the politician. Politics works that you try to convince me that you're on my side. And you try to convince me and you charm me and cajole me and get me to do what you want me to do. That's how politics works. You scratch my back. Hey, hey, I'll gouge out your eyes with my thumb. (laughs) Yeah, or just learn that in another day, on another morning, you're going to have to eat those words and start Mm -hmm. eating those words. There's not a president, certainly a successful president in American history, who has not eaten a certain kind of sandwich. And the more sandwiches that you ate on the way to the White House, the more effective you are. LBJ, uh, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton – these were effective presidents because when they were in the Senate or in the State House, they learned how to say, "Oh gosh, let me, what can I do for you?" They learned how, they learned strategic humility, and this guy doesn't have it. That sandwich meat, of course, that Rob's referring to is crow. Tastes just like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be one of our sponsors. It wasn't ones, quite, right? but I know what you're saying. More, I was going to use a more robust term, but yes, robust, more, more code of conduct, code of conduct. We wanted exactly. to mention before we go out that uh, we've been informed by the ever-checking uh, Blue Yeti, who, who Googles everything that we say to make sure that we're always scrupulously accurate. It is noted that the house that President Obama is going to be moving to is a rental. Can't even buy one himself. Eh, it's just sad. <laughs> so the house is valued around $6 million, and to be fair, the former press secretary could have bought it when it was, you know, two, okay, because D.C. real estate's been really good. And it's cost $22,000 a month to rent. Think about that. And what galls you is that you have the suspicion that he's not even going to pay that himself, that there will be some foundation or some donor or somebody else who will pay that. Guy's never going to have to write a check in his life. Um, but you might want to because this thing is supported by you, the listeners. So you might want to go to ricochet.com and join. First month is free, and after that, you won't want to quit because you'll get addicted to the member feed, and you'll hit it five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day like a Pavlovian crack monkey experiment, but with more rationality. Also brought to you, of course, by our great sponsors, The Great Courses, GreatCoursesPlus.com, Harry's, and Casper Mattresses. The coupon code for all of those, as you well might imagine, is Rob Long Interrupts My Segways. Now, (laughs) we'll put that in there so you can just copy and paste. No, of course, it's Ricochet. And visit the Ricochet store where you can get many pieces of branded swag. And I believe there's a little button on the site now that tells you how you can preview Ricochet 3. Is that right? Rob? Yes, I believe there is. Yes. I'm, so, I'm sorry. The sorry answer is yes. The answer yes. is yes. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry to, to, have got, to, have, to have waved for your attention there, but apparently Rob's... No, no, all, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was flipping through it, yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, Rob himself is probably anxious to get back in his car and zoom back to California to get out. <laughs> no, i got to get the AC fixed. Uh, oh, that's right. So oh, be, my goodness. Oh, broiling as you go across oh. Death Valley. Oh, you, you do, do have, have to dog? get the AC fixed before you head off. Yes, yes. You have your dog oh, with you? Yeah. You have your dog she with is. you? Oh, yeah. then you, well, she can at least stick her head out the door and window and uh, let the tongue flap. Yeah, right? she should have stood in the back and pants the whole way. But, uh, yeah, so no, I, need, be... uh, I, need, I had to order, order a little part for the Subaru, and I, uh, they're going to have it uh, tomorrow morning, and they're going to put in, and that's that. Route 40, so you've got the Texas pan, Mexico, and Arizona. Is that the route you're taking? <sighs> you got it. Okay, you do need that air conditioning fixed. Don't worry, folks. I do need the AC. 
When there's no podcast next week, don't worry. It just means that we're off for the holiday week. Bob is not lost. He's not He's not crawling across some cartoon landscape with one cactus and a skull and horns on it. But we'll see you in a couple. We'll see you in a fortnight here back at the Ricochet Podcast at ricochet.com. See everybody in the comments. Next week, fellas. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Join the conversation.